Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Happy Easter. And I want to thank you for making uh, Golden Corner Church a part of your Easter weekend plans. People all over the world are gathering together today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a part of that celebration, somebody's going to tell the story of Christ's life, death, and of course, his resurrection. Well, this morning, I want to tell you a story. And within the story, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you the story of 11 men, 11 Jewish men. For the most part, they were probably very average, ordinary, hardworking guys. To some varying degree, they were probably religious, some more than others. But to the man, I promise you this, each one of them found their religion lacking. In spite of the fact that they were raised in the synagogue, in spite of the fact they were Jewish, there was something missing spiritually about their lives. When along came an upstart young preacher named Jesus. Jesus was different from anything or anyone they'd ever been exposed to. Uh, Jesus was refreshing. He was authentic. Compared to the religious leaders of his day who were famous for being hypocritical. Jesus really practiced what he preached. His message was different. The religious leaders preached a message of conform or condemnation. Jesus preached forgiveness and another chance and a better life. Jesus was filled with grace and love. Now, in addition to his teaching, he began to help people in what appeared to be miraculous ways. And people took notice. Lots of people began to notice Jesus. And the more they listened and the more they saw, they became convinced that he was more than a teacher sent from God. That Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah, the King of the Jews, has come. Each one of these 11 men eventually had a very personal experience with Jesus. They trusted him. And I believe that in him they found what they never could find in religion. I guess you could say they had a conversion experience. Maybe uh, we would say today they got saved. In time, Jesus showed up either on their job or at their house, and he extended an incredible invitation to them. He invited them, Will you, why don't you follow me? You know what that meant? He was inviting them to become his protégés. 
He was offering, I, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you're willing, I'm willing to be your personal mentor. And I'll mentor you in your newfound faith. Well, how do you say no to that? Well, they all said yes. They took extended leave from their job. They made arrangements to be away from their families for a significant period of time. And they made room so that they could invest lots and lots of time with Jesus. They traveled everywhere with him. Now during the day, they had the awesome opportunity of hearing him teach. And the Bible said he's the best teacher that ever walked on this planet. And they got to hear him every day. And if that weren't enough, in the evening sitting around the campfire, he would say, guys, any questions about what I taught today? And they'd go, yeah, I didn't really understand this. And could you elaborate a little more on that? And go into length. And he would, man, he would explain all these things to them. Town after town, village after village, they watched him perform one miracle after another. He would restore sight to the blind and, and give the crippled the ability to walk, run, ride a bicycle, whatever you want to do. There you go. He cleansed lepers. He cast out demons. He controlled the weather. Well, they even saw him raise the dead. And the more they heard and the more they saw, their faith grew. And they became convinced this is not just a man of God. This is God the man. That before us is one who is a unique blend of divinity and humanity well as you can imagine his following grew exponentially which means that they would go into the smallest of village and hundreds of people would flock around to hear what he was teaching to hopefully see him perform a miracle went into a larger town thousands would come out he had almost like a rock star status and where do you think all these followers were coming from Most of them were abandoning the existing religions like rats off a sinking ship. And they were finding in Jesus what they never found in religion. So his numbers were growing. The religious numbers were dwindling. How do you think the religious leaders reacted to that? You think they said, well, as long as they're going to church somewhere, that's okay. As long as they're getting what they need, it doesn't matter if they come to our synagogue or they follow Jesus around. We don't really care. No, that's not the way they reacted. They were jealous of Jesus. They saw him as a threat. They saw him as their competition. So I think the first thing they decided, Justin, was maybe we can hamstring the competition. Let's discredit him. So time after time, they did all these foolish, stupid little things to try to discredit Jesus in the eyes of the public. And every effort failed. And so finally, out of frustration, they said, well, if we can't hamstring the competition, I'll tell you what we need to do. We will eliminate the competition. Let's have him killed. Now, there are some great religious leaders, isn't it, huh? Let's just have him killed. These 11 guys followed Jesus for over three years. And their journey led them to a dark night. A very, very dark night. It was a night of Passover. Now this was to be a night of celebration and joy for Jewish families. And maybe it started out that way for these 11 guys. 
But after supper, Jesus dropped a bomb on them. He said, one of you is going to betray me. One of you will turn me over to the Jewish leaders, and they're going to have me killed. One of the 11? No. There was actually a 12th guy following Jesus all this time. His name was Judas Iscariot. I intentionally have not mentioned him yet because he was different from the 11. Now, if you've ever read about the 11, you know that sometimes they were slow to get it. Jesus would teach some great lesson and go, did you get it? And they go, uh, no. But if he taught it enough, they'd go, I got it. Not Judas Iscariot. He never got it. He was never on the same wavelength as Jesus. You say, why not? He had never experienced true conversion like the 11. He was a natural man. You ask, what in the world was he doing with Jesus in the 11? Jesus chose Judas to be a part of his inner circle. Yes, was that a mistake on the part of Jesus? Oh, no, 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 no. He did it intentionally. He wanted Judas to be a part of that inner circle because Judas had a very special purpose to fulfill. Now, Jesus had, all the 11 had purpose. Jesus was going to continue his ministry through them. But now Judas Iscariot had a very special purpose. His purpose was to betray Jesus. He was chosen for that. Jesus knew that at the right time and under the right circumstances, he'll turn me over to be murdered. You say, why would Jesus willfully choose this guy knowing he's going to betray him? You've got to understand something. You know, contrary to what I think the 11 were thinking and wanting, on this trip to earth, Jesus didn't come to occupy a throne and reign as king of the Jews. No, no, no. On this trip, he came to die on a cross, saving mankind from the consequences of their sins. He came to die. An essential part of that plan was somebody's got to turn him over to die, and that's why he chose old Judas. And once he made the announcement, the Bible said Judas excused himself stepped out and set this process in motion. That's a dark night, isn't it? I mean, if you're one of the 11, you're sitting around, you're going, what the world? Well, it got worse. Because as soon as Judas was gone, Jesus made another grim announcement. He said, guys, okay, he's gone. I need to tell you something. I'm leaving. And my departure is imminent. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. Not now. Now, we know that he was speaking of his death. So Jesus spent most of that night comforting them. He prayed with them. Then he led them out to a grove of olive trees where they often spent time together. And Jesus prayed more there. It wasn't long until this sacred moment was interrupted because here came Judas Iscariot with, a, with an angry armed mob to arrest Jesus. And to the surprise of the 11, Jesus offered no resistance. He just kind of said, here I am. 
take me. That they tied him up and they led him away. Now two of those 11 chose to follow him. One named John followed him as closely as he could. And one named Peter followed at a distance. You say, what about the other nine? Well, I'll just say it the way we say it up in Salem. Uh, they ran like scalded dogs. And that night, Jesus was taken before religious leaders and political leaders. And before daybreak, he was found guilty on false charges, of course, and sentenced to be executed. Before he was executed, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they beat him severely, then they led him to a rock outcropping outside Jerusalem known as Golgotha or the place of the skull. There they nailed him, didn't tie him, nailed him to a cross and then they crucified him. The eleven looked on in horror as the one they believed to be the Messiah was brutally executed along with two common thieves. Just 24 hours ago, this seemed impossible. Now, it was reality. Jesus was dead. How do you think our 11 guys responded to this sight? I think they were in a state of shock. Now, Jesus had spent a lot of time trying to prepare them for this moment, but somehow it just didn't register. And so when Jesus died, they they didn't see it coming. I think they were totally confused. I mean, we've seen him do all these miracles, and and, and we really believe he's the king of the Jews, the son of God, God the man, all this stuff. If that's the case, why didn't he do something? I believe that they were heartbroken, grief-stricken, because Jesus loved these men, and they absolutely loved him, and now he's gone. But I think there's one more, at least one more emotion that they're feeling on this night. I think they're feeling fear. You say, what makes you say that? I want you to read a part of a verse from the Bible. John chapter 20 verse 19. The Bible said that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind. You see this? You see it? Locked doors. They were meeting behind locked doors. And why were they doing that? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. The 11 were so afraid of the Jewish leaders. They apparently went into seclusion almost immediately. They didn't even hang around long enough to take Jesus' body down from the cross. They let somebody else do that. Where was all this fear coming from? The eleven obviously assumed the worst. They assumed that Jesus was first. And one by one by one, each of us is going to be next. I think they were imagining that the same things that just happened to Jesus are going to happen to us. So they skipped out became fugitives, and went into hiding. Now, let's use our imaginations for just a moment to kind of picture how this might have gone down. Now, uh, you won't find what I'm going to share. You're not going to find it in the King James Version, but if you're fortunate enough to have a Hodge translation, this is the way it is uh, translated. Picture how this must have gone down. I believe all 11 guys... We're there when Jesus was crucified. 
You know what I believe they're thinking? Uh, if you're a sports fan, you ever had your team kind of down in the last moments against an inferior opponent? And you're thinking, I'm not worried. I'm not sweating it. My team's going to come back. There's no way we're going to lose this game. In the end, we're going to pull it out. We're going to, I believe those 11 guys sitting there thinking, there's no way this is going to go down the way everybody's thinking. He's not going to die. Watch. Any minute, any minute he's going to call down angels. He's coming off that cross. He's, watch. And guess what happened? He died. I imagine one of them eased over to another and said, uh, we need to talk. Uh, We need to meet. Someplace out of sight, out of public view. uh, Let's meet in that dark alley between the Walmart and the liquor store. Uh, Pass it on. One o'clock, pass it on. So the other one, he goes to, he goes to her, hey, we've got to talk. Dark alley between Walmart and the liquor store, 1 o'clock. I believe one by one, they go to all 11 guys. 1 o'clock, they show up at this dark alleyway. Said, guys, what are we going to do? One of them says, here's the plan. We're going to have to lay low until this threat blows over. Can you imagine one of the others asking, where? I can almost hear Peter say, my uncle's got a little fishing shack that I don't know that anybody could find. And there's a room there. And I think it would serve perfectly for this. So why don't we all meet down at the fishing shack? And he gave them the address. Just You can Google it. It'll take you straight there. <laughs> we'll hold up there for a while. Now, before we depart, I believe two of them were given an assignment. You guys go down to the Ingles, get all the non-perishables you can get. Of course, they were fishermen, so they had to have Vienna sausages, potted meat, soda crackers. Get all the non-perishables you can. Get, get bottled water, everything you feel like we're going to need to hold up for quite a while. Maybe some others. You're going to go to Ace Hardware. We're going to need flashlights and batteries, and, and we're going to need some lumber and nails and, and, a, and a saw and and a big, uh, the biggest honking lock that you can find. And yeah, the biggest, heaviest piece of chain that you can get. And here's what we're all going to meet down there at Peter's uncle's fishing shack at 5 o'clock. Got it? And by the way, keep your hoods pulled up, boys. Keep a low profile. They show up at 5 and they take in all the supplies. They're boarding up windows. I believe they put a big chain around that door and... Locked up that big honking lock. They turned the fishing shack into a hideout. Can you imagine the conversations that night? Like maybe, guys, do you think we were wrong about him? I mean, a lot of what we've seen today, you think he was really who we thought he was? Maybe somebody goes, oh man, I just had a thought. What if somebody gives us up? What if somebody tells them our name? Maybe they won't find us down here in Peter's uncle's fishing shed, but I can tell you what, they can find our families. What would they do to our families? I believe panic is heightening. In the middle of the night, I hear what I'm going, hey, did you hear that? I heard it. Guys, pop down. You're going to have to be quiet. They're going to hear us. Cut that light out. 
terrified. It would appear to me that following Christ's crucifixion, the, the disciples spent most of their time behind locked doors. While they were hiding, Jesus arose from the dead. And the eleven didn't even know it. They were prisoners. No, they weren't prisoners of the Jewish leaders and they weren't prisoners of the Roman government. The eleven were now prisoners of fear. Time out. Here's a lesson worth noting. You ready? Fear imprisons. Did you get it? Fear imprisons. The disciples locked the door from within. They were protecting themselves, and hopefully that locked door was going to keep danger on the outside. That seems reasonable enough, doesn't it? Isn't that how we respond to fear? Fear shouts, lock the door and hunker down. So we lock the door. We play it safe, take no risk. We keep a low profile. After all, there's danger out there. Maybe there's a time for that sort of behavior. However, if we're not careful, we'll do as the disciples did and turn our life into no more than a panic room. You guys know what a panic room is? I want to tell you something. Uh, researching this sermon cost me $2.99. Because I happen to think, wasn't there a movie called Panic Room? So I go to Amazon, I did a search. Panic Room, 2002, starring Jodie Foster. So I downloaded it. Lynn, don't bother me, I'm working on the sermon. <laughs> so I watched the movie. You know, this is not a spoiler, but in the movie, Jodie's... Wanting to buy a house. So she's got a realtor showing her the house. They go into the master suite. And there off the master suite is this weird little room. She goes, what is that? No windows. One door. Locks from the inside. And when it's locked from the inside, nobody can unlock it from the outside. What is this? The realtor said, that's a panic room. That room was designed for survival. Not living. That room's got everything you need to survive a home invasion. But wouldn't you know it, first night there, she experienced a home invasion. I'm just giving the whole movie away, aren't I? (laughs) Thank God, I'll just put it like this, she had a panic room. Do you know the thing about the panic room? It was never designed as a place for Jody and her daughter to live. It was a temporary means of survival. There came a time when she and her daughter had to unlock the door, walk out of the panic room, and resume life. Here's what I'm saying. Trembling in fear behind a locked door is no way to live. The locked door was keeping the disciples from danger, but the locked door was also keeping the disciples from living. 
Outside the door was danger, I get that. But also, outside that door were opportunities. Possibilities. Responsibilities. Accomplishments. Adventures. Joys. And people. People who desperately needed these 11 men. Fear locks the door on danger. But if we're not careful, fear will also lock the door on life. Say, what do you mean, Ronnie? Fear can cause us to live in such a way that in in order to avoid all the things we fear like embarrassment or monsters or failure or rejection or crowds or sharks or whatever. We also miss out on opportunities, possibilities, successes, relationships, etc. We miss out on life. Fear is a captor that lives within depriving us of freedom, ultimately depriving us of Life. Fear imprisons. The disciples who were hiding behind those locked doors had been chosen, called, and trained by Jesus to fulfill a mission of eternal value. They had been promised a life on this earth that would exceed anything they could imagine in quality. But they were never going to fulfill this mission and never going to experience this life as long as they were hunkered down. Enjoying the security behind the locked door. There's a lesson in all this for us. If we're going to become the person God wants us to be, if we're going to experience what he wants us to experience in life, if we're going to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish, each and every one of us is going to have to overcome fear. Fear will be constantly trying to make you its prisoner. Fear will be constantly trying to hold you hostage and keep you from living life to the full. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. We can overcome fear. The disciples did. Did you know that in time they unlocked that door and began to pursue life as God intended? They went on to become some of the most influential people who ever lived. They overcame their fear. You say, how do you think they did it? I think they found the key that unlocked their courage. And then courage unlocked the door to a new and better life. They overcame fear and so can we. This morning I'm starting a brand new sermon series entitled Fear Less. Unlock Your Courage. This series is for everyone who feels imprisoned by fear. Everyone who is robbed by fear. Fear. Everyone who is tormented from time to time by fear. Everyone who is tired of living life as a prisoner behind the locked door. This series is for those of you who are constantly attacked by anxiety. And for those of you that can't seem to help yourself. You're just going to worry. In this series we're going to gain a better understanding of fear. We're going to learn where it comes from. And we're going to learn just how powerful it is. We're going to talk about anxiety and learn what to do when we're feeling anxious. We're going to talk about worry and we're going to learn how to stop worrying. There are a lot of topics that I'm completely unqualified to speak on. If you really want to know about biblical prophecy, I'm not your man. But there is a topic I'm extremely qualified to speak of. 
fear, anxiety, and worry. Fear, anxiety, and worry have been for me a lifelong, constant battle. October 2014, I went away for about a week. I rented a cabin up in the Smoky Mountains. I felt called to go. I took hiking gear, fly fishing gear. I took photography equipment, and it rained. It was like a mon. It's a week, like a monsoon. I sat in the cabin. I read the Bible. I listened to God. I think the way you phrase it for me is: it's time for us to kind of hit the restart button on your life. There are some things we need to talk about. There's some things you need to do and some things you need to do differently. This is what he said. I wrote it all down. This is one of the things he said to me. If you don't somehow get a handle on fear, anxiety, and worry, you're going to die before your time. That's what he said. If you don't get a handle on these things, you're going to die before your time. So I'll tell you what I did. I started studying the Bible. Anything I could find about fear, anxiety, and worry. Now, I can't tell you that I'm fearless. You, you, your pastor's not fearless, Hodge. But I can tell you that I fear less. If you hang with me through this series, I can't promise you that at the end of it, you'll be fearless. But I can promise you this, you will fear less. So how can you say that, Ronnie? Because I'm going to give you a key. In the next few weeks, I'm going to give you a key that will unlock your courage. And courage is going to unlock the door to a new and better life. Will you take this journey with me? You promise me you'll come back? Will you promise me you'll come back? I'll hold you to it, each and every one of you. I remember just where you're sitting, what you look like. I want to help you because I'm going to tell you something. I'm talking to men and women right now who are prisoners of fear. You're about to be set free. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. You are so good. I'm excited about this journey we're about to take. And where you're leading us. Because you're leading us. Out of the dark, dismal, depressing panic room called fear. You're going to set us free. We're going to start experiencing and enjoying life the way that you always intended that we would. Thank you, God, for loving us that much. So in Christ's name, we all pray together that you will help us. 
Amen. You're free to go. Have a great Easter Sunday.